0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic. Everyone is cordially invited to join co-host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries, disappearances, and lots more.
1: You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we are on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Um, Right now, Spotify, you can do reviews now, so if you guys want to leave us a nice review, that would be greatly appreciated. Only nice ones. (laughs) Um, Feel free to reach out and contact us with any of your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear from you guys.
0: So come on into the attic with us now as we go exploring once again and find out what mysteries we are going to discover today.
1: Today's episode is about demonic possessions and exorcisms, Part. Two. So today will be the second part, the following to our first part. So um, if you haven't seen that, please go and watch that now and then come right on back and it'll be perfect. So in our previous podcast, part one, demonic possessions and exorcisms, we talked about some of the basic information about this subject. Uh, we discussed what is a demon, what is a demonic possession, and what exactly is an exorcism. And like I said, if you've already not watched that, please go and watch that one and then come right on back. makes it easier, yeah. Uh, We strongly recommend that you do, as it'll help you better understand and benefit from watching this part two segment. So, in our part one podcast, we did mention that in late December last year, there were a number of news reports advising the identity of the real-life inspiration for the demon-possessed child in the 1973 movie The Exorcist um, had finally been revealed. And that news had prompted Uncle Mark and I to talk about the whole subject of possessions and exorcisms. Uh, Uncle Mark had already seen this movie, but I had not. And I promised that in last podcast, uh, I would watch the movie and tell everyone what I thought of it in our part two podcast. Well, I did watch the exorcism movie <laughs> and I watched it with Mark. And let me tell you about it. So um, it was right after we finished the podcast. It was probably around, what, two o'clock in the morning that we oh, started yes. watching that yes. movie. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't done till around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. It's a very long movie. Um, I liked the story. The story was very good. It was very s- story-driven. Um, and considering, I, I want to consider the fact that I have seen scary movies nowadays. <laughs> so it does take away from that, that factor of, oh, no, what's going to happen next or the, the jump scare factor. But... I think for its time period, it is it is definitely a a, a well filmed, well directed, and it really gives you the um, what's the word I'm looking for? It gives you the uh,
0: the creepiness factor. Yeah, it gives you the <laughs> creepiness factor,
1: and it gives you an idea of what an exorcist is actually like in in real life. Um, obviously, some of it is exaggerated because it is a movie and it's Hollywood, and yeah. But other than that uh, i i th- I really enjoyed it. I think it was very like I said, very well story driven movie mm-hmm. um, good plot twist kind of near the end, right so I did I enjoyed it, yeah, I don't know what I would give it out of ten. I'd probably give it a seven and a half out of ten mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and it's it's so different for you now because when they when that first came out in December of nineteen seventy three I mean it was it was a different world, yeah. And we had not had any movie like that before, mm-hmm. so that definitely has the impact. So now you've seen so many things, <laughs> not only in movies, but even on TV shows yeah, and all exactly, that, exactly. that we certainly weren't experiencing back when I was a young boy, way back when. Uh, so yeah, you, you've seen so much already, so it's not quite the same impact or effect on yeah. you that it would have yep. on someone you know, who was your age back in 1973 if they mm-hmm. were going to the movie yeah. with their girlfriend or their boyfriend and, you know, seeing this. And it did have that, as we mentioned in the first podcast, it did have a tremendous physical impact on a lot of people that yeah. actually would leave the theater, couldn't handle some yeah. of the scenes, uh, would get sick, you know, uh, would, would just have to flee, you know, from the whole thing because they just couldn't handle it at that time. But I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad you watched it. Like you said, some of the exorcists that you and I have been reading uh, their works, reading their um, commentaries and uh, their experiences as exorcists have, have pointed out that they do get annoyed with the Hollywood aspects yeah. of it. But um, some parts of it actually are quite accurate, and, mm-hmm. and we'll actually go into some of that in these next two podcasts that we're going to be doing. But uh, I'm glad you watched it. Yeah, I, I went into. I enjoyed it, watching your reaction to it since I was sitting there with yeah, you. Yeah, I went into
1: uh, it with with no really expectation. Um, yeah. I didn't really hold it to, like, a super high standard because I right. knew, obviously, as dated as it is. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I really do think it was a very good movie.
0: Good. Yeah, It's I to consider it a classic of sorts, you yeah. know what I mean? A, a classic horror film, if nothing yeah, and, else.
1: And me and Mark, we found ourselves laughing at some of the parts, <laughs> as we do.
0: So. That is true, yes. <laughs> I can't deny that. <laughs> but it's still a good movie for yeah. me, so I'm glad you watched with me and... And now we'll move on into our second podcast now on this topic. There's so much information Zach and I have been going over. You know, We've ended up actually writing out our notes and scripts really for three podcasts. So this is our second one. And we could probably do even more than three, but I think that's going to be enough for us. <laughs> we're getting a little... We've really gotten into it pretty deeply between the three podcasts that we prepared yeah. our notes for. So I think that'll be our limit. But in this second podcast, we're going to share some more of the experiences and information that Dr. Richard Gallagher included in his book that we spoke about in the first podcast, his book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. That book came out in 2020. I cannot stress to everyone how much I learned from this book. I think you would agree with me on that. There's a tremendous amount of information, and it was great to read the uh, experiences and thoughts and viewpoints of a medical expert. Um, As we mentioned in part one, our part one podcast, Dr. Gallagher is a psychiatrist, graduate of Yale University Medical School, and he is today considered the world's leading scientific expert on the subject of demonic possessions. Dr. Gallagher stated in his book that the goal of his book was to present the persistent but unequivocal factual evidence of demonic possession and assaults. And he also pointed out that today, according to national survey polls, 50% of Americans do believe in the possibility of demonic attacks on human beings. So in this podcast, we're going to look at some of the actual cases that Dr. Gallagher was personally involved in, and we specifically chose these particular cases, in order to show that while, as we pointed out in our first podcast, many exorcisms do, thankfully, end with the successful liberation of the possessed person from the demon or demons who are possessing it. Sometimes, unfortunately, the victim does not experience full liberation. So we thought it's important to show that not every story has a happy ending And also to point out the danger of getting involved with things that can open those doors, open yourself up to demonic possession.
1: Yeah, uh, I just want to point out real quick that if you made it through the first episode, this episode is a lot more juicy and... I think it's more of really what you came here for. Obviously, the first one gave you all the background knowledge as to to what this is. And if you already knew that and you're just starting on part two or whatever, <laughs> um, then perfect. Um, so let's hop right into the first case.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We want to drill down into some really interesting cases. Yes.
1: Too. All right. So the first case, Julia, the satanic queen. Dr. Gallagher and his wife had two cats for years, and they often slept together on the bed with... Doctor, and his wife. One night, at around 3 o'clock in the morning, the cats began to fight viciously, something they had never done before. Um, they had to be physically separated and put into separate rooms. The next day, Father Jacket Jack? A Jacques. Jack. I'm I it's okay, French, Jack. yeah. I am not French. Sorry, yes. <laughs> Father Jacques, uh, an exorcist who Dr. Gallagher worked uh, with on many cases, shows up to his house with a woman named Julia, she was in her late 30s, early 40s with <coughs> black eyeliner that went all the way around to her temples. Um, this was an unannounced visit. Uh, Julia stares at Dr. Gallagher, or he, she stares into his eyes, mm-hmm. and asks him, how did you like those cats last night? Um, it turned out that Julia was a Satanist, a high priestess of a Satanic cult, her father, juck uh, <laughs> she had literally committed herself to Satan and literally worshipped Satan, and she had been uh, granted a rare privilege in uh, return, which would have been uh, psychic powers. Uh, she was able, um, in her normal consciousness... <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. Let me restart the sentence here. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she was granted psychic powers uh, when she was in her normal... Conscious state. There we go. Um, She was possessed and knew that she was possessed. Uh, She believed it was just a demon, not Satan, who possessed her. Uh, At this point, she had already been to several psychologists, and they didn't really believe that there was any psychological explanation for her paranormal uh, abilities. She could view people remotely and had accurate knowledge of others without having any direct contact with them. Julia displayed her powers, um, and powers uh, that Dr. Gallagher had never seen before.
0: Yes, as we had mentioned in the first podcast, if you've seen it, uh, Dr. Gallagher in the decades of his work as a psychiatrist had treated thousands of people. I believe it was over 25,000 patients that he had worked with. And as he had pointed out, none of them had ever shown any indication that they were somehow possessed. He had never seen demonic possession with those people. The way that he first came to be involved with demonic possessions was because clergymen started to bring people to him for psychiatric evaluations, because they were trying to rule out uh, the, the possibility or the actual fact that these people possibly had a mental illness that they were dealing with, as opposed to an actual demonic possession. Um, in this case, and what he's pointing out to about these psychic abilities, with all of those thousands of patients that he had worked with as a psychiatrist, this is not something you see with any of those patients. With all of those thousands of people, they don't display these type of abilities like she was able to know about the cats fighting that night before. May have actually provoked the fight with those yeah. cats the night before. Strange abilities like that—it's rare. According to The Exorcist, it's very rare, but these strange psychic abilities or powers are sometimes granted as almost a uh, a reward, a special privilege to just certain people who are possessed. It's sort of the, that trade-off of their worshiping Satan, and they get a little something in return, and unfortunately they really feed on that, that makes uh, working with them even harder. Now... In this woman's case, she had been uh, baptized Roman Catholic. She did go to Catholic school. She did advise Dr. Gallagher at one point that a priest had molested her when she was very young. And someone in her circle of friends had told her about a local satanic cult. She did end up joining that satanic cult leader. She engaged in uh, countless orgies with cult members, became the cult's, quote, main breeder, unquote there. Someone in the cult would... Uh, uh, and because they were they were in these orgies, There, you know, a number of times, whether it was her and other women in the cult would become pregnant. Uh, the cult would perform, and there was someone in the cult who would actually perform abortions on women when they would become pregnant. And the fetuses were used in uh, some of their twisted uh, ritual ceremonies. She was a member of this cult for many years. As you said, uh, she was considered a high priestess in the cult and had an exceptionally close relationship with the cult leader, the man that was running that entire group. As she got older, as she was aging, she saw the cult leader was beginning to shift his attention away from her and more on newer members who were joining that were younger women. She began to feel that she wasn't as important as she had been before. She wasn't as influential as she had been in the cult. And this is what led her initially to consider Having possibly an an exorcism performed on her, the the official rite of exorcism, before Doctor Gallagher had met her that day, several exorcisms had already been performed, so no liberation had been attained uh, up to that point. So shortly after this meeting, Doctor Gallag- Doctor Gallagher, and Father Jacques were uh, actually riding in a car with Julia. And uh, this was—we uh, made a kind of a reference to this in the first podcast, just you know, speaking in general terms about exorcisms and some of the things that go on. But uh, she suddenly went into a trance while they're in the car. She was in the back seat. Father Jacques and Dr. Gallagher were in the in the front of the car. And in that very nasty, raspy voice, she blurted out, "Meaning the demon acting upon her body, since she was possessed, speaking through her." Blurted out, leave her alone, you effing monkey priest. She is ours. We will never let her go. And this rant went on for ten minutes. Then Julia came out of the trance and she had no memory of that at all. I would not want to ride in a car with Julia, I'll tell you that much right now.
1: <laughs> Julia will not be getting in my Uber. No. Um I I just wanted to say, if you would have said the F word, I would have just went with it and said it in this next upcoming sentence. But I'll just follow you. you. I'll follow you. It's cool. You're young and you don't listen to me anyway. Come on, Mark. I always listen to you. All right. So sometime later, while uh, Dr. Gallagher and Father Jock were speaking on the phone, that same hissing voice came on the line. We said, leave her alone, you effing priest <laughs> this is an example of something many exorcists and Dr. Gallagher have observed many times um, and this is the ability of demons to interfere with phones and computers or to interrupt calls, send text messages leave fake voicemails and so on Dr. Gallagher says that these are paranormal phenomena um, that go beyond anything he has ever seen uh, with psychiatric patron page. <laughs> Patience. There we go. I don't have any patience to say the word. Uh, Julia finally agreed to undergo another exorcism. Eight people were assembled for this rite of exorcism two priests, two nuns, one was a nurse, uh, a laywoman, and three strong men. After the exorcism, exorcism began, she went into a trance. So, for about two hours, as a demon uh, manifested itself, cursing and boasting the whole time, the three women were holding her arms and shoulders while struggling to keep her in her chair.
0: And then at that point, even with the three men that were also in the group joining in and trying to hold Julia in place, before the entire group, she actually levitated out of the chair a full 12 inches, one foot out of the chair, with all of those people struggling to hold her down. And this went on for 30 full minutes. It's a One of those things we talked about in the first podcast, when one is wondering if you're dealing with an actual demonic possession, that superhuman strength is one of those key things that they're looking at. And that's certainly, number one, that's certainly a a demonstration of incredible strength with all of these people holding her, being able to still pull away from them but then on top of that the fact of levitating that is not something that human beings normally do and that's something else that's looked upon so she actually did defy the laws of gravity how that works nobody knows but the demon was able to actually levitate her body a full foot out of the chair for 30 minutes as everyone was pushing or pulling down on her shoulders legs the arms i'm sorry
1: i could have held her down by myself look at these guns oh yeah (laughs)
0: yeah I'm impressed oh I'm sorry I I gotta stay awake I gotta keep talking but anyway this was uh, this was an incredible display of demonic power as holy water was sprinkled on Julia she would scream it burns that's very typical from what we've read in in, uh, all of the books and all the research we've done it burns because it does literally hurt the demon because it is something blessed it's something sacred anything of God is something uh, destructive For any demon, she spoke several uh, in several foreign languages and even in Latin uh, during this particular exorcism. And she made various animal noises. And the room where the exorcism was taking place became first the temperature dropped; it became freezing cold. And then, after a while, the temperature rose very quickly, and then the room became stifling hot. And then finally, she came back down into the chair after having risen out of it by a full foot and she came out of the trance. Afterwards, she had absolutely no memory of any of this, which is very typical. And the exorcist himself, it wasn't Father Jock, it was a priest that Father Jacques was assisting, actually said afterwards that he had felt he was at the very gates of hell during this particular rite of exorcism. And Julia later decided, unfortunately, that she would not undergo any more exorcisms. She decided to continue on worshiping Satan she made it very clear that she liked those little psychic favors that she had, those those abilities to see things remotely, to see uh, to, from a distance, not being physically present, to be able to see people were doing, to see into their homes and things like that. Um, so she didn't want to give that up. She felt those were gifts bestowed on her, and she did not want to surrender. In the end, she was never delivered. She was never liberated from this particular demonic entity or presence. And this is interesting, several months later, after that particular last exorcism, Father Jacques and Dr. Gallagher actually went to see Julia, and in order to get where she was living at that point, they had to fly. Um, While Dr. Gallagher was flying home after their visit, uh, he doesn't go into any details about what exactly they discussed during the visit. Some things do have to stay private. Um, But as he was flying home, while he's in midair in an airplane flying home, both Dr. Gallagher's wife, and his secretary received phone calls. The male voice on these calls identified himself as a priest. He informed both of them that Father Jacques and Dr. Gallagher had both been in a very, very bad car accident and they were currently in critical condition and then hung up the phone abruptly. This was an actual fake and vicious phone call made by a demon.
1: I mean, they sure know how to prank call I guess
0: they do know how to prank call
1: (laughs) all right at this point it is a good time to point out that dr. Gallagher uh, stressed in his book that a major aim of demons is to confuse human beings Um, at times demons have to pretend to be dead souls um, angels pagan gods Uh, so these possessed individuals Uh, have told him that they receive messages about the end of the world or Satan is ready for a truce with God, Um, and these demons can mimic genuine illnesses or disorders to disguise their presence. Remember, they are most successful when they stay hidden. Uh, The next case will be Catherine, one of the most intractable possessions Dr. Gallagher ever saw. So let's hop right into this case, shall we? Mm -hmm. Catherine and her husband and children uh, lived in a rural town in West Virginia. Father Jock got Dr. Gallagher involved in this case, and he went to Catherine's home at least a dozen times. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the first visit there with uh, Father Jock, Catherine's husband had not been told that Father Jock was coming and bringing a psychiatrist with him. But, like many victims of possession, she actually knew the details of their trip right down to the uh, expected time of their arrival. She always had a strong reaction before any exorcism. Father Jacques had briefed Dr. Gallagher. Uh, Catherine had no prior history of mental illness. She had complained of attacking spirits. She could see dark Shadowy shapes. That's a tongue twister. Uh, (laughs) She would receive messages mentally, uh, and these caused severe pain in her ears. She was examined by an ENT physician, Mm -hmm. ears, nose, and throat specialist. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could not find any physical explanation for the pain. Yeah,
0: I thought that was very interesting. Just to stop right there, the fact that she was displaying, even if Her husband would not tell her, oh, you know, Father Jacques is coming in and he's bringing this psychiatrist. She, she had knowledge of that anyway. That's another example of that preternatural knowledge that, that paranormal ability. That's the new word we use instead of preternatural, but that ability that the demon is displaying there that yes, she hasn't been told directly by her husband, but the knowledge is there anyway. He can see, he can sense what's coming and she would react. She would be feeling sick. She'd be laying down a lot. She wouldn't be herself. And it's kind of sad. She had the family, she had the children and, uh, the husband told Father Jacques and told Dr Gallagher that this always happens, even though he would keep it quiet. Any time they were coming, or the priest from their local parish was coming, uh, she would have that prior knowledge ahead of time, and it would be very, very disturbing to her because that's the last thing the demon possessing her would want to be having, uh, would want to be happening. Now, her hearing would normally work fine during a normal conversation. She didn't have that ear pain then. She could hear, you know, you're talking to her about the house or whatever, uh, about the family, the kids. Uh, but she could not hear any words that would have anything that we could describe as religious nature. She would experience what Dr. Gallagher makes very clear was selective loss in her hearing. So if someone would say to her, and this literally happened when Dr. Gallagher was present in the house, you know, have you been able to pray, Catherine? she would reply, able to do what? She can't hear that word pray because that has something of a religious or spiritual nature to it. Uh, Have you been able to uh, go to church, Catherine? Have I been where? She could hear part of the sentence, but she would have that selective loss of the sense of hearing. And this is not the only case that Dr. Gallagher actually saw this particular phenomena happen in, but in this case, it's pretty bad. That's um, crazy. Yeah. In other cases, he talked about people that would actually, the same thing would happen, but it would be a selective loss of their vision when trying to read something. Okay, yeah. They could read, but they couldn't read the Bible or, or prayers that were on a, you know, on a card or, or you know, in written form in front of them. So uh, there were other cases like this, but this one was a pretty bad one that he, he definitely got very involved with.
1: Let me just intervene real quick. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have the same thing happen when my girlfriend talks to me. Like I just don't hear like the rest of the sentence. All I hear is "Can you?" and then it just stops. Like I have no, I have no idea what she I says. I understand.
0: I don't think that's demonic possession in your case. I so. think you're just a
1: normal American male. I'm just so when she says like something, "Can you?" and I just can't. Yeah, like, I can't even say it. It's just.
0: I hope she's watching this podcast. I really. <laughs> she am, probably won't. I
1: hope she. I, well. I hope.
0: I'll, <laughs> all right. I'll stop there. I better watch myself. Mark will right. send it to her. He'll <laughs> clip it and send it right to I'm her. Going to make a home visitation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, this poor woman was also, uh, even before meeting with Dr. Gallagher that initial time, she had already been seen by a psychologist and audiologist, again, about the hearing problem. The pain would be very severe. From what I read, it would uh, really cripple her when when that selective blocking of her sense of hearing was going on. Now, on a follow-up visit that Dr. Gallagher made, he actually brought another psychiatrist with him to her home. And they decided to ask her some questions, not orally, not speaking to her, but they would write them on pieces of paper, individual questions. So now, when they would write questions on paper and hand them to her asking about the kids, about you know stuff that's going on in the house, um, the truck out in the yard, if she's been driving it lately, literally things like that, she could always read the questions with no problem and uh, answer them. But when they wrote out on pieces of paper, individual questions like, have you been trying to pray to God? Uh, are you going to attend mass later today? She would stare at the pieces of paper in her hand and then ask Dr. Gallagher, why are you giving me blank pieces of paper? She would literally then have that sense of sight completely blocked out because again, it was something of a religious or spiritual nature. I find that particularly spooky yeah, and, that is and and spooky. frightening. I don't like that at all. Um And as I just had said to you, Dr. Gallagher had seen other cases of demonic possession where there was the blocking of one or more of the physical senses of the possessed victim. Uh, The demons were, in this case here, are preventing Catherine from receiving any kind of spiritual support or assistance from anyone, which is really vicious and cruel.
1: Finally, Catherine uh, admitted that for a period of time when she was a young girl, she and two of her friends formed a witch's coven, and they all pledged some sort of loyalty to the devil. They took part on what they all understood to be diabolical rites. She confessed that she had aborted fetuses, um, or not that she had, but she they had used aborted fetuses in the ritual, her involvement in, with this coven was for a relatively brief period of time. Years later, she suffered from symptoms of a demonic uh, oppression. She seemed to be beaten up by demons, and eventually she began to experience the trances, which are indicative of a full possession. Mm -hmm. So I've seen movies where these people get beat up by absolutely nothing, Yes, and Mm -hmm. I think that's terrifying. Yeah,
0: and And we talked a little bit in the first podcast that, yes, mm mm-hmm, I think that's yes. absolutely terrifying. demonic oppression. They can get black and uh, blue uh, bruises, scratches. Uh, yeah, they can be yeah. injured. Very I much. I couldn't mm-hmm.
1: even imagine facing a demon. You don't even. You can't even see it. It's like Mike Tyson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, they can get hurt. Horrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let's see. Her exorcisms uh, had to be performed in her home because she could not tolerate being in a church building. Eight people were present, including a nurse. Her husband and others held her down on the couch. Ten minutes into the right, Catherine went into a full trance, and the demon began manifesting. (coughs) Uh, When the exorcist asked it, uh, when it was leaving, it replied, "Never. (laughs) We will not go." She. I was going to keep. I was going to keep going, but I was just reading a normal voice. She allowed us in. Uh, She gave herself to us, and she can never be set free. Uh, To Dr. Gallagher. There was a recognizable personality uh, here. It was a bully, immature, uh, pompous, and it mostly spoke English. At one point, Dr. Gallagher detected it was speaking in ancient Greek.
0: And again, that's one of the things that we see over and over and over again as we read these reports by various exorcists and by the people that were in there, like Dr. Gallagher, that, that ability to speak in foreign languages and ancient languages Very typical in cases of full demonic possession. And during this particular exorcism, Catherine was trying to strike and kick those holding her down, and trying to kick and strike at the exorcist as well. The exorcist ordered the demon not to harm anyone in the room. And this is very interesting. When she would try and scratch or bite the people closest to her, holding her on the couch there, she seemed to be prevented from actually doing so. She could get so close, but not quite, that she could pull that off. Um, In in, uh, one of the later exorcism sessions, Dr. Gallagher himself was actually helping to physically restrain her, and he said her face would stop about an inch from his arm as she was moving in to bite him. We're going to t- go into a little bit more of this later. We're going to find out that in some cases they're not always stopped like this, but in this particular exorcism that was, uh, Dr. Gallagher wrote about, uh, there did seem to be this, this limit, once again, this being held on a leash where they can go so far but not any further than whatever that limit is that was set so that she couldn't physically hurt any of those people or bite them. So my
1: them. question would be if this demon was physically beating her up,
0: Previously, previously previously being where is the
1: line wheres the line that's straight
0: yeah they, exactly and that's why we can read all the books we want on this and we can go through all of the cases that we want on this and we could do multiple podcasts on this but like many of the exorcists have said in the end most of this is still a mystery it's totally mysterious they don't have any understanding of how you get bits and pieces you get some insight based on your firsthand experience primary you know primary evidence from from firsthand experience, from actually physically being involved in this, but no, it's still overwhelmingly mysterious. And yes, when we were talking about different levels in the first podcast, we did talk about the different levels of a demonic activity. And we had talked about infestation, you know, actually a, a demonic activity in a home, the classic haunted house type of syndrome. We'll go into that a little bit later again, but we did talk about that in the first podcast. And then we talked about demonic obsession where it demons are able to put uh, thoughts into somebody's head over and over and over again about hurting other people or hurting themselves and things like that. And then the third level, which was very common, and many of them said was, was sometimes the most common thing they dealt with, was demonic oppression, which is physical attacks can go on the person. And many times that will lead into the fourth level, the rare but real and ultimate level, which would be total physical possession of a person so yeah oppression is it's nasty so they do get uh bruises they absolutely do and can get injured but again it seems to be limited it's not like they're they're not allowed to be killed that seems to be the way that it works according to the all of the information we've been reading and the exorcists that we've been uh studying the works of um we don't know why we don't know how that is but there does seem to be this limit where they can go so far on any one occasion or whatever and then that's it though they can't go any further so uh, that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is because this is a very scary area and it would be our sincerest recommendation to everybody that don't get involved in anything that could possibly open you up to any of this sort of demonic activity.
1: So I just have one more question then. Yeah, sure. If, um, oh my God, I almost, this like, is good. It's a conversation. My, I lost my train of thought. Right. Um, <coughs> if this demon isn't able to like physically push this person into like essentially killing themselves, they instill right. the right. thought of it. Oh yeah, yeah. So then, how does that? I don't see. I don't understand how that works. Because isn't it essentially the same thing? Like, because obviously the demon can take full control of this person's body and do what, whatever they want. But if if they instill the thought of killing themselves, isn't that essentially doing the same thing? Because you just you, didn't you just say that they're not yeah. allowed to? No, that's
0: an excellent question, and that's a point that I, I certainly thought about that too. We're not. Uh, we're going to wait until podcast number three on the subject to be going into uh, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti's book. He's uh, an incredibly experienced American exorcist. His book is "The Diary of an American Exorcist," and it's a fascinating book. He does talk about that, and he does say that any experienced exorcist will know that when you are dealing with a person who is, it's rare, but when you are dealing in those rare cases with someone who is actually demonically possessed, that, that fourth level, the worst case scenario, so to speak, a good exorcist knows they must watch for suicidal tendencies. They must be very aware of this because there's nothing that demon wants more than to hurt, if not destroy, that human being. And and he's the one that really stresses that we're in the world of the supernatural when you're dealing with this, and we just don't have all the answers. It is extremely mysterious and frustrating because we yeah. don't have the we don't have the answers. But yes, you're right. It to me that's a very scary thought. The other thing is Dr Gallagher talks about this too in his book, uh, "Demonic Foes," is the fact that yeah, and don't forget, you know, people can have suicidal thoughts, uh, and it's not a case of them having some sort of demonic possession. This is unfortunately psychiatric illnesses. This is mental health issues that people are dealing with. Uh, So that's why discernment is so important in this whole process. You can't just jump the gun and someone's doing something and, you know, that brings attention to to other people and just immediately assume, oh, it must be demonic. Well, no, as uh, any of the exorcists will tell you that the vast majority of people that are first brought to them with suspicions by family members or friends that they could be possibly possessed. The vast majority of them will really be found to have psychiatric problems, mental health issues that, that they need help with. They need good psychiatrists like Dr. Gallagher to help them. So that is uh, really the reality of it. The, the, the fact is that for most of these people are not really going to be these full possessions. It is very rare, but your question's valid because I don't have, nobody has a real answer to that. Yeah. Like Monsignor Rosetti said, anybody that tries to tell you they know everything about the demon world, that dark world, about how things operate and why some things are allowed and why some things aren't, yeah. if they tell you they know that they're lying because nobody does, no human being can possibly understand that. It's beyond us, it's beyond our abilities. We just get bits and pieces of information from firsthand work in the actual rites of exorcisms that are performed and working with these uh, poor victims but we don't have the full picture by
1: any means. Yeah, so there's just one thing I want to add. No. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be the final thing. No, I this really is a conversation. L- yeah, a I know. I don't want to <laughs> just linger on this a l- like too, no, too no, long. No, no, good. This is good. I think a good example of what we were just talking about would be The Exorcist. Spoiler, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, the movie's almost 50 years old. Go watch it. Um, <laughs> when, near the end, when he says, take me, take me. Yes, yes. And then he jumps out the window and kills himself. Yes. That essentially is...
0: Well, it's essentially Hollywood. <laughs> well, yes, but <laughs> I'll say that right off the bat. But uh, my understanding of that from the novel that the movie was based on is that he's trying to destroy the demon. So yeah. he, the, the priest, that telling him to come into him. I've never read about a case where any exorcist is telling the demonic entity to come into me instead, or to yeah. You know, See, I don't... their job is to, and that was the Hollywood part of it. When you read the rite of exorcism, when you when you read about the actual cases like we have read about you're seeing that the exorcist's job is to get the demon to come out of hiding that's number one because they're most powerful when they're hidden that's why they do those prayers at the beginning of the formal ritual of the rite of exorcism and the roman catholic ritual of it certainly and also with the liberation prayers that other christian denominations use you're trying to get it to reveal itself and then you're trying to get it to leave that person you want that person free or liberated. the the way to do that is not to get it to come into you. <laughs> and as we said in our first podcast, the possession doesn't mean physically coming in, but you know that they're going to be able to act upon you in such a way that they take control of your own, yeah. your body, and, and they're able to control it and move it and use your voice and even get into your mind what they call demon brain, some of the exorcists, you know, making you think like a demon. Uh, but uh, bottom line is, no, they don't want the, the demon coming into them, possessing them. It's a very dramatic part of the movie though. Yeah, so I mean it just
1: raises a lot of questions because yeah. I mean a demon isn't necessarily a physical being.
0: It's not no a demon is a fallen angel as we explain in podcast 1 we do explain all of the terminology, the basics of possession, demonic possession and and exorcism. So no, a demon is uh, traditionally it's it's the, the teaching is that it's understood it is not a material being, it is a an angel no body but with intellect and with free will. But an angel that decided, using its free will, to turn away from God and embrace instead darkness and yeah. what they've become, become evil. So that's what mean what's meant by fallen angel. They've fallen away from God and they literally become incapable of love because they've turned away from love. They've turned away from the light, uh, from the creator, and they have fallen and they're... Uh, separating themselves from any possibility of of experiencing a uh, loving relationship. So they're basically full of rage and hate, especially against human beings who God created. And uh, they hate us in particular and want to do everything they can to hurt us and destroy us because that's their way of getting back at God.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, this is probably just me babbling about the whole yeah. Hollywood thing because yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I got a lot of questions now, and it, it's not adding up. So this guy jumps out the window, kills himself. Like we, like we established, demon not a physical being. Can it just float right back up to the little girl and possess her again, essentially? Yeah,
0: theoretically, from what you're saying, yes, that would be. You, you would think that could be absolutely.
1: If I was a demon, that's what I would do.
0: Remember in the first podcast we were explaining that um we don't want to keep repeating everything we talked about in the first podcast, but sometimes we do. This is a good point to stop and say that. Remember what we were talking about in our discussion in the first podcast about what is an exorcism? It's not some magic, right, where, you know, someone has become possessed by a demon, is under the control of a of a demon, a demonic entity, and this exorcist slash priest, you know, just comes into the room and has to say this magic formula and then everything's going to be okay. It's not a magic formula. It's a. Uh, it's not a one-and-done deal, as we pointed out. It, some of these exorcisms can be repeated over and over and over Can It takes sometimes weeks. It can take months. It can take years in some of the worst cases that the exorcists have dealt with. It can take actually years before they can fully liberate that demon. And remember what all of the exorcists have pointed out. This doesn't happen by accident. Someone doesn't just become possessed out of the blue. Somehow, some way, like these two cases we've just been discussing, that individual did something that opened the door, so to speak, that enabled an evil entity, a demonic entity to come in. They can't just, you can't go to bed tonight and then just suddenly wake up possessed tomorrow, you know, um, yeah. for no reason at all. Out of the blue, Dr. Gallagher talks about that a lot, but so do the other exorcists that will be, and the two exorcists in particular that we'll be talking about in the third podcast. No, it doesn't happen out of the blue. Something happened. You did something that opened that door, and that's why it would be best to avoid all of these activities we keep talking about, involvement with uh, satanic rituals and um, uh, the things that the exorcists warn you about, uh, avoiding these uh, these cults and all of that. It... Um, you want to avoid all of that because these are the type of things that can open that door and permit a demonic entity to, to get involved with someone, which could lead to the actual, rare, but the, the actual full possession of a person. So, no, these are good questions you're asking now. Yeah, you, you do wonder about that because they are non-material beings, so can't they just hop around? But Yes, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's what um, I would do. Yeah, and again, that like I said, the movie is Hollywood, and we have to be careful about that because... Um, you've lost my place here. There no, <laughs> I, I, you
1: were all, we went all the way to the bottom, so I didn't mean to distract you while oh, we you were sorry. talking. But this is where we were at. So, with that being said, that was a um, yeah, we're at we're at the last. I step. talked.
0: I talked about. Uh, yeah, we'll get back on our little script here, just to kind of keep our notes here. So, this particular exorcism we were just talking about, where Doctor Gallagher did come and he was actually involved in physically restraining her, and as he said, it looked like she was trying to bite him, but it seemed like she, she would get his like about within an inch of his arm, but then there seemed to be some line there that she couldn't cross. So anyway, that particular exorcism lasted about 90 minutes, and it exhausted everyone there in the room. Uh, There was no full liberation, no full freeing her of the possessing demonic entity. As she came out of that trance, that always happens. The trance is when the demon is taking full possession of the person's body and mind there. She was a bit dazed, and then slowly the ear pain subsided, And as he said, it's so odd after all of this and all of this thrashing about and the yelling and screaming and cursing and all of that, uh, she actually then decided to be the hostess and go into the kitchen and heat up all the food that she had earlier prepared, you know, because she knew that all these people are coming to the house. So to this day, for her particular case, uh, her exorcisms continue. She does lead what Dr. Gallagher refers to as a partially normal life she still cannot set foot into a church building, but um, from what I read, she can help out with some things outside of the church, but that are church-related activities, you know, uh, church socials or something, it's something that doesn't require to physically set foot inside the actual consecrated church building. Uh, it's just too physically painful for her. So there's a case that's interesting, Zach. So she's still alive as of the time of the writing of this book in 2020, uh, but... As you can see, these exorcisms are just going to continue on and on. It's not a one and done. In the first podcast we had talked about, you know, it's not like Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed are in the ring and you go so many rounds and then finally, you know, Rocky wins and round, whatever yeah. it is. And then it's all over us. All the exorcists will say to you, it is not a one and done deal. These things require repeated visits. Uh, there's going to be, um, repeated rites of exorcism over and over and over again in order to weaken that possessing demon and to eventually and hopefully drive it out, get it to leave, and um, the person will be liberated or freed in the end. That's the goal. But it doesn't always work, and it certainly doesn't work quickly.
1: All right. We are on to our final case, and this would be the case of Barbara. (coughs) Barbara. Barbara was a middle-aged woman with no history of psychiatric problems. She was a member of the Lutheran Church and was married. Uh, In her late 20s, she began to experience various pains, and she began to hear voices which often threatened her. Uh, Scratches would appear on her as well as black and blue bruises, which we uh, just Mm -hmm. talked about, and those are consistent with being punched, and then she was even thrown uh, to the ground at times. People who knew her or know her uh, report that she goes into 30-minute-long trances, Uh, her bed would shake, and religious objects in her home would fall and break. In other words, Barbara was showing some of the classic signs of demonic oppression and demonic infestation in her home. Uh, So her and her husband spoke with a deacon at their Lutheran church, and he decided to do an informal service, Uh, no interest in doing something like the formal Catholic uh, rite of exorcism. So there is a small group of people from the church uh, present. Uh, No one is restraining Barbara. This is the deacon's first encounter with someone who may be possessed. He did not consult anyone, a doctor, a doctor, or an experienced clergyman, which does not seem very professional of him.
0: No, he was, uh, from what I read, he was a younger man, uh, and I'm sure he was well intentioned. I don't want to criticize him too strongly here, but he, he's doing everything wrong. <laughs> I'm not fighting a demon by myself. I'm not. Uh, he, he did have other people from the church there, but uh, you know, it, it's rather apparent he was trying to take a. Uh, his idea was I'm going to have a group of really good people here, and we'll take kind of a quiet, laid back approach to this whole thing. You know, we don't have to use that very formal, ritualized method that the Roman Catholics use, you know, which is what so many people assume when they hear the word exorcism. So the deacon, the young deacon here, he starts to say some prayers, and very quickly, Barbara goes into the trance. Remember, excuse me, I'm sorry about this cough. The trance is very typical. After the rite of exorcism has begun, uh, where the person goes into the trance, that's where the demon is taking over now and is going to start manifesting, revealing itself, because the prayers are driving it crazy. That's what they're. That's the point of the prayers. It's it's something spiritual, something holy. So that's causing them pain. That's why you'll start seeing the screaming and all that. First the trance, and then those other things that start the screaming and the thrashing. Now. Barbara went into the trance very quickly. Uh, She's not a very big or strong woman. She's actually was described as being rather slight in in size and very soft-spoken. And before this deacon can even start to say any of the commands, the prayers that are now going to be commanding the demon, uh, Barbara jumped up out of the chair and came after him. She picked the deacon up. And threw him hard into a wall, which was halfway across the room where they were all sitting.
1: So this demon's breaking the rules that the other demon was following.
0: This session is over. <laughs> yes. Well, here's the case. There's no line here um, because remember, in normally when you, all of these cases, the doctor Galler. Dr. Gallagher talks about in his book, and Matt Baglio talked about in his book, The Rite, that we also used in the first podcast, and certainly in the books and the cases that we we'll read for our third podcast from actual exorcists, uh, Father Amworth and, Fa- and Monsignor uh, Rossetti. all of them, everyone is telling you that if there's going to be any sort of rite of exorcism done, you have to have people there prepared to physically restrain the person when the person is possessed, they're going to be doing things they have no control over. The demon is going to lash out. It's in pain. It's being attacked. It's hurting. So yes, in this case, that, that precaution just wasn't taken. The deacon was, uh, I guess, assuming maybe the demon was in his tie-dyed shirt and, you know, his bell-bottom pants and maybe had his tambourine from the 60s. You know what I mean? It's laid back. Uh, I don't mean to be too cynical here, but it's like, what were you thinking? if you know anything about the basics of exorcism that Zach and I covered just in our first podcast...
1: If you would have just watched our episode. You would
0: know. You should be watching Uncle Mark's attic You would know, though. You know, you don't take this laid-back approach. This is a serious matter, and it can become physically uh, problematic for you if you're not taking these precautions, and that's why all of these exorcists will tell you you always have to have other people there in the room, men and women, uh, but uh, certainly you want to have some people that are, are definitely fairly strong that are, you know, have some physical prowess because these things can display incredible superhuman strength and can really be, we talked about the, just the case a few minutes ago about the woman that's floating out of a chair with six people trying to hold her down. Despite six people holding on and pushing down on the shoulders and the arms and the leg, she's still rising 12 feet, 12 inches, excuse me, 12 inches of full foot into the air despite all of those six human beings holding back that person, that woman, uh, while this demon is manifesting. And th- that's one of the things that they'll do. They will levitate as they display s- superhuman, beyond our abilities, uh, strength. So I know he meant well, but that ended that session. Cause, and he was hurt. <laughs> and that was done. That's Everyone the in the room was idea. stunned. Uh, Barbara did come out of the trance, but uh, she didn't remember having picked him <laughs> up and thrown him across the room, thrown him into a wall. But you know what? I guess sometimes you have to learn the hard way. <laughs> And literally the hard way. So no more tie-dyed, you know, attempts at uh, exorcisms here. That's ridiculous. Barbara and her husband uh, then decided to go to a Catholic priest, and he did suspect that she was in fact possessed. But following the usual procedures that are that are used by all of the Catholic exorcists, certainly, uh, psychiatric evaluation was required, and that's how she ended up seeing Doctor Gallagher himself, since he is a psychiatrist. Now, she did confide to Dr. Gallagher. Here we go again. There's always something behind These things don't happen randomly. She did confide and open up with Dr. Gallagher and told her that when she was nine years old, her parents' marriage seemed to be coming apart, so the home life wasn't exactly the happiest. There was no abuse or anything, but it wasn't exactly the happiest. And like many young kids, you know, she's looking elsewhere for uh, comfort and support and all that. And she became very friendly with some of the neighbors. It was a couple who lived close by in the neighborhood there. They were a good bit older than her parents, and they would, of course, show a lot of attention, shower her with attention, you know, and try and comfort her and all that. But unfortunately, this particular older couple were engaged in and practiced what Barbara herself told Dr. Gallagher were black arts rituals. And in one ritual, she was actually, quote-unquote, dedicated to Satan and given quote, unquote again, given a demon. So when she was 14, five years later, uh, her parents, everything worked out. She and her parents did move away from that neighborhood. She told Dr. Gallagher her teen years were pretty much what you would call, you know, normal, her high school experiences and all that. And she did become uh, active in her local Lutheran church.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if we said how long ago this was or what, like what year, but when I was nine years old, I was playing with like Hot Wheels, Yes. I I was like still picking my boogers. She's getting a demon.
0: Yes. I agree with you. I have I have the
1: I don't know what to say to you.
0: I, I don't know the poor woman and I don't know so I, I can't comment on all of the the circumstances. I don't know how bad you know the fights between mom and dad were all that and I'm sure she was playing with neighborhood kids and all that. But sometimes, you know, I can understand where a child would turn to somebody older you know, some sort of figure, you know, to fill in that need for, uh, you know, for comfort and attention yeah, from a parent-like figure or grandparent-like figure even. So, I mean, I can understand that, but good God, I mean, I'm sure she had no idea initially that this nice older couple right there in the neighborhood, right on the block, you know, that's going to get her cookies and milk and all that and, you know, sit on the steps and talk with her is actually involved in, here we go though black arts, uh, demonic or satanic activities and rituals. Here's that door that gets opened. The story bothers me so much is because she's only nine years old. And what bothers me is that, and then years later now, we're seeing her actually, uh, you know, being the victim of uh, demonic oppressions and being hit and, and, and obsessive thoughts as well, the demonic oppression, demonic obsession, but then actually into the, uh, the state of actually a, a rare but again very real full demonic possession and that bothers me because she's 9 years old when this I don't I myself when I was reading this in in, in Dr. Gallagher's book I was thinking to myself you know how much did she fully understand what all was going on at that point but apparently as a result of whatever, and there's no real specifics given about what these black arts rituals were, there were these activities, but we have a, we, we certainly can get an idea. I think we can kind of think about it. But somehow, just because of that, yes, here you have a young person who years later now is dealing with uh, the horrors of a possession. I, I just think it's, I'm almost tempted to say to you, I, I feel it's unfair. I mean, she was just a child. Yeah. Is she being punished now, later? Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of things I would love to discuss when in the future we hopefully will be doing some actual interviews with people like Dr. Gallagher. I would hope that would be my number one person that I would love for us to interview. But also maybe some of these exorcists like Monsignor Rossetti, I've seen him interviewed on TV. And I do have questions, even with all the reading and research we've done, because I know it just goes against my nature. I just think, wow, that's unfair. Something that happened when she was nine years yeah. old. And it's not like she went out intending to do this type of thing. This is under the, you know, under the influence of older people and you know kids when you're younger i'm sure you can't have that trust of these older people that are almost filling in the, the role of your yeah. you know, of a grandparent who you mm-hmm. really a grandmother grandmother so uh, it is though you're absolutely right that is um this is a very tough situation to deal with and, and to just accept those circumstances yeah
1: I, I mean i wonder how that conversation even goes because obviously she's much older now she's possessed and oh by the way when i was nine i had a demon Right. I was given a demon when I was nine. Mm -hmm. So, um, with Dr. Gallagher's recommendation, exorcisms were begun. Uh, Five to six people would have to hold her down as she would struggle for hours to free herself. The demonic entity made it clear that I will never leave her. The entity in Dr. Gallagher's presence spoke different foreign languages. When the exorcist was praying, the words of the Apostles' Creed in Latin... Uh, The demon would interrupt with taunts in English. For example, when the exorcist in Latin said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the demon blurted out in English, No, I don't. This evil spirit, uh, this demon, remained obstinate to the end. Barbara continued to struggle against it for the rest of her life. Uh, She passed away before she could be liberated or delivered.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's a very sad case, very sad story when you think about it. And I I just I still wrestle with this one with the sense of unfairness that a uh, something that happened when she was nine years old that that actually would be able to cause her so much anguish and pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. You know, later in her life like this. But like we said, we want to talk about some cases where we don't have a happy ending because it's a dangerous area for anyone to get involved with, and we. We certainly don't. Zach and I are right here in front of you. You know, we're still wrestling with all of this information that we're sharing. But it, it, the bottom line is, it's just a very, very dangerous realm that we're all uh, talking about and discussing right now and having this conversation about. It's really uh, frightening to me on many levels, haunting to me very much. This story in particular both of all the cases, this one really bothered me because I was so sad to read that she had passed away before they could ever successfully liberate her or free her from that demonic entity, from that yeah. possession. That's so so sad. Based on all of his work in the realm of demonic possessions and exorcisms, Dr. Gallagher sees himself, and this is very important, he sees himself first as a physician. He is an MD and he is a psychiatrist. But he also sees himself as a believer and a firm believer in the reality of demonic possession. And it is very important for everyone to understand in Dr. Gallagher's opinion, that there is a dark world out there that seems to know a lot about each one of us. That's a frightening thought there to me, too. It despises us, poor mortals, and it's strangely invested in misleading us and in harming us. Scientifically credible evidence alerts us to these sobering realities, as he said, and in his extensive experience working with mentally ill patients, that we want to repeat this again, Zach, and I think this is very important, Dr. Gallagher has never, put that in capital letters, he has never seen any of these patients, mentally ill patients, display or exhibit these paranormal activities, and they certainly never displayed the ability to levitate, to float up in the air to defy the laws of gravity like he himself has personally witnessed in some of the exorcisms where he has physically assisted. The facts are well documented, as he says in his book. The personal challenge for each of us, that each of us must contemplate, is the reality of this dark world. In Dr. Gallagher's own words, these demons are real. He calls them cosmic Terrorist. They despise us humans. They hate God. And the wise person will not close his or her eyes to this reality. And none of this, nothing that you read in Dr. Gallagher's book contradicts science. That's very important because he is a man of science first and foremost. And in the first uh, podcast, we did explain how prior to that priest coming to him one time out of the clear blue asking him to evaluate a patient. Uh, you know, because this priest suspected the person was possessed. Dr. Gallagher really wasn't interested in the whole topic of yeah. or subject of demonic possessions or exorcisms. He, he, he just wasn't interested in it. wasn't something that he was trained in or had been brought up in. He was, he was trained as a, as a doctor and as a psychiatrist. So, yes, none of this contradicts science. I do like the fact that he stressed that in the end of his book.
1: Like we said, uh, we are going to be doing a part three podcast in which we are going to be reviewing some information from the book, The Diary of an American Exorcist by Monsignor. Yeah, Monsignor, I'm sorry. Stephen Rossetti. Uh, this book was published in 2021. Mm-hmm. And we are also going to share some information from the book, An Exorcist Explains the Demonic by Father Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Marth or a, Morth? a Morth. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1925 to 2016, a priest-exorcist from Italy who served as the exorcist for the Diocese of Rome. He performed thousands of exorcisms over his 60 years as a priest and is recognized as the ultimate authority on this subject by many exorcists today. That is crazy. I would love to be... Named the ultimate authority of anything.
0: Yeah, he was, uh, and he wrote a number of books. We picked this particular one. It's a shorter book, but it was interesting, just to get you know um, insights from a priest exorcist who is considered the ultimate authority. Many, all of them, even Dr. Gallagher, everyone refers to him because he spent decades working as an exorcist, actually full time in Italy. And it's nice to get that perspective too of someone from another country, and uh, you know the different cultural context of uh, working in the field of you know demonic possessions and exorcisms in another country in another culture and to see his uh, perspective on those things and yeah. to see what he had to say and and is like I said, he is considered a teacher still to this day he did die in 2016, but he was a priest uh, for almost 60 years and for many of those years he was uh, working as an exorcist um, almost full time really over in Italy. So that'll be an interesting podcast, I think. Well, I hope you found this podcast interesting. We thought it would be interesting to dwell on, drill down into those yeah. those three cases we were talking about in particular, and uh, just to give you some in-depth perspective on what is involved in some of the cases that these exorcists and the teams of people that work with them, there's all kinds of lay people with them, there's psychiatrists, there's psychologists, there's nurses, uh, doctors, there's there's uh, all of these experienced exorcists, there's always a team approach to this. It really is a team effort it's a team undertaking when you're going to go into the right of exorcism
1: yeah um with that being said this is the end of the episode um mark i just want to end on one real quick real fast question oh absolutely i just need you to think of an answer because i have my answer oh okay if you could remote view what would you do do you want me to tell you what i would do yes tell me what you would do i would rob banks
0: well, that that's an encouraging thought for me. I'm so glad I'm sitting so close to a felon. <laughs> so, a felon wannabe. With that being said,
1: Mark, <laughs> answer the question.
0: Remote viewing. Yeah. Oh, I would want to get inside a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I could do podcast galore on wow. aliens and UFOs. That's good. This one here bothers. <laughs> I mean, we were retaking this because, <laughs> excuse me, it is a serious subject and. Just for the record, I mean, I do feel that it's real. I think Dr. Gallagher, he, he's a hero to me. I think he's a tremendous person that has opened my eyes to uh, even more aspects yeah. of uh, possessions and, and demonic possessions, demons, and exorcisms. But uh, no, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'm, uh, I'd i like to get away from that topic at some point because we're going to share that and we take it very seriously. But uh, no, I, I would rather uh, remote view inside of one of those unidentified aerial phenomena that our Navy pilots were filming and the the films were released. We did our very first podcast on that. Yes. I want to see inside of there. I want to know exactly who they are and what's going on.
1: All right. So while Mark is getting probed, (laughs) I will be robbing banks. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Take it easy. That caught me off guard. Yes. Um, (laughs) <laughs> alright that's the end of the episode I hope you guys enjoyed and if this isn't your cup of tea the whole part one part two part three thing hang tight we got something planned for the end of this month uh, This is that'll be our third episode that we record hopefully today um, it's more of a light hearted fun kind of thing that we have planned so with that being said uh, you can find us on all social medias at Uncle Mark's Attic yes. um, Spotify, Apple Podcast if you're watching on YouTube leave a like, subscribe um, feel free to leave reviews on any of those other platforms that I just stated. Uh, it'll really help us out. And uh, Mark, you want to close us out?
0: We're on Instagram too. I was watching this on Instagram. Yes, I, I, I wasn't well, sure if you just mentioned that. We I, are on every yeah. social media. Yes. And you know me. It's very hard for me to, yeah. I don't Mark, even know how to work all this equipment. And I'm proud of him. Or the new iPhone. I still struggle with that thing as you saw in the first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I was doing. So yes, uh, we do hope you enjoyed this. This is a tough subject, but we wanted to do it. And if we're going to do anything in the attic here, we want to do it thoroughly. We really do. We want to make sure that we can share all of the information that we can to help everybody out in any way that's possible, whatever it's going to be. If we can just help one person with their life right now, it makes it all worth it to us because we we don't know, but we're we're giving a lot of information out here and we want to keep doing that. In the third podcast, we're going to be going into some more things uh, and into those books by the two actual exorcists who had a lot of experience, both of them. And we do hope um, you're finding this educational and informative. I, I don't know if I want to use the word entertaining. Other podcasts can be more entertaining. I don't. I don't find any of this entertaining, but I do like learning these things because I do want to be. Don't find us entertaining, Mark? No. Uh, <laughs> I I do want us to share knowledge because knowledge is power, and yes. that I do want everyone to have that power. And like we've said before, many of you don't have the time to read all these books and do all the research we do. So we're trying to do that on behalf of everyone, and then share that information and make sure we're giving you something not just to think about that, but also something that can help you and and prepare you for what you might be dealing with. So hopefully you've enjoyed that and we will see you next time here in Uncle Mark's Attic. Thank you for watching us today.